we thank you. We are grateful tonight for, uh, as, as I said earlier, we are grateful that we're studying the Bible and not the Koran. That is your grace. That is your mercy. That is your kindness. That you have opened our eyes uh, to see the truth of the gospel. That uh, you came to us and uh, we were blind and you gave us a sight and you gave us life. Uh, we heard about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And we, we just didn't hear it, but then we were given the Bible to explain life to us and to tell us about you, this great God. Uh, you are the God who is, uh, Lord, you are incomprehensible, but, but you are knowable. We'll, we'll never be able to assimilate your greatness and your majesty will never be able to take it in. But we get glimpses here and there that let us know your character and your attributes and the kind of God that you are. And we are so grateful that you are the kind of God that you are. We are so grateful that you are all-powerful. All-powerful. You speak a word and creation happens. It just happens. You, you spoke it into existence. Now that kind of power in the wrong hands would be devastating. But not only are you the God of all power, but you're, you're the God of righteousness and justice. And your character is, um, is sterling. You are holy. You are morally pure. And therefore, you can be trusted with your power because you would never use it in a way that would be unjust. Um, that, gives us, that gives us great trust in you. Uh, you have power over your power. And we see people, we see nations today that seemingly are powerful and on the verge of becoming more powerful, but they are not good. And we find ourselves concerned because that power can, use, can be used in a way that would destroy uh, in ways that are beyond imagination. We've seen that throughout history, but never has the potential been so great as it is now. But we are grateful that you have power even over that. We're grateful that uh, there are some things you cannot do. You cannot lie. It's just not within you to do it. And so we can trust you when you tell us things. And when we read your word, we know it's true. We uh, know that when you make a promise, we can live off of that promise. Instead of the children of Israel that when they entered into the promised land and you gave them land, that, that not one promise that you had given over all those years was left unfulfilled. You always, always keep your word. Always. There's, there's no other God like you. There are a lot of false gods. But there's no God like you. And that you would reveal yourself to us. And... Uh, and that you would send your son to die for us. And that you would bring us to yourself and then give us life. Uh, create us in the womb. Give us gifts because you have a purpose for each of us. And you have a work for each of us to do. And it's different for every guy in this room. And you have a slot for us that's different from the other guys sitting around us. You've got something for us to do. You had something for Joseph to do. And you're overseeing the whole thing. And you know where you need your men, so you put us where you need us to be. And sometimes when we don't feel like we're just in the right place, it's because you're actually preparing us to get us ready for ultimately where you will have us. We, we don't always see the whole blueprint laid out, so we don't always understand what you're doing. If we saw the whole blueprint, if you unrolled it to us and showed us what you were up to, it would all make perfect sense to us. But you've not called us to walk by sight. You've called us to walk by faith and to trust in you, 
even when we can't see what's going on. That's what you called us to do. That's what you called Joseph to do. When we looked at Paul, that's what you called Paul to do. We looked at Moses, same deal. You always call us to trust in you and to walk by faith. Doesn't all add up. Doesn't all make sense. We don't, we don't have all the pieces together. So we trust in you. We need to be reminded of these things on a fairly consistent basis because uh, life throws us curveballs. And things happen to us that, that are unforeseen by us and that confuse us at times and that uh, deeply disturb us and disappoint us and, and rip our hearts out. But in all of this, you are God. And in all of this, you are good. And in all of this, you are working for our good. So tonight, Lord, we ask that you would drive this home to us. Show us your greatness. Show us your sovereignty. Remind us again of the magnitude of your magnificence. That's our prayer tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We are in Genesis 41 tonight, <clears throat> and we're looking at Joseph, and as we open the book to Genesis 41, we are immediately told that Joseph has been on hold, that Joseph has been uh, waiting. We, we are told that not a whole lot has been going on in his life. And our problem is, is when God puts us in those chapters of life where there's not a lot of action and there's not a lot of activity and we've, we feel like we've been put on the shelf. Uh, if you've not been with us in our study, Joseph uh, is in prison. Uh, he was put in prison not because he did something wrong, but because he did something right, he refused to sleep with his master Potiphar's wife, and she trumped up false charges against him, so he was thrown into this dungeon. But the hand of God has been with him, and he is actually now, as he was given favor as a slave in Potiphar's house, and basically ran everything for Potiphar, even as he is in jail, God's favor has been upon him, and he is running the entire jail. He is administrating it, he's doing the budgeting, he's doing the forecasting, he's making sure the supplies are here and there and everyone's getting their time in the yard and all this stuff. This is what's going on in Joseph's life. But it's, it's not what he's um, desiring in life, uh, it's not what he wants. He's incredibly overqualified for where he is, he's bored, uh, he has to be frustrated, uh, and, and, you know, you've got to fight off bitterness in a deal like that, especially when you find yourself in a place that you shouldn't be because you didn't deserve to be there. It's one thing to be in jail because you're guilty. It's another thing to be there and you didn't do it. So all this stuff he's got to deal with, just as you have stuff you've got to deal with, and I have stuff I have to deal with. And uh, we, life, life is never perfect. All, all the pieces don't... You know, some people are perfectionist. If you're a perfectionist, well, you got to get over that a little bit. Because, because the problem with a perfectionist, a perfectionist isn't happy until life is exactly perfect. So if, if for you to enjoy life is going to be precluded on your life being perfect, you're going to be miserable. It'll never... There, there is a place called heaven, and this isn't it. If you're a perfectionist, you'll do well in heaven. You'll be happy in heaven. We'll all be happy. But on this earth, you see, here's the amazing thing. Uh, God will give us a sense of joy and a sense of, and that's it, it's joy. Uh, it, it, it's It's a joy. Even in the midst, this is pretty wild, even in the midst of difficult circumstances that you don't like and you don't want to be in, and I'm not saying you have this all the time, but there are moments where you, you say, you know, Lord, this is okay. 
because I know you, and you're in charge, and you're running the show, and I don't get all of this, but, but you know what? I've read about Joseph, and I've read about Daniel, and I've read these guys in the Scriptures, and you were up to something in their lives, and you know, Lord, you're up to something in my life. Would you help me to trust you here? Just, just, just help me to trust you. Remind me of who you are and how great you are. So we get to Genesis, 31, uh, Genesis 41. And you know, not a lot's been happening. It says in 41, now it happened at the end of two full years. That's a lot of time, two years. There's some valuable time. And, and you know what we hate? We hate to see life pass us by. But because we feel when, when you're in a season where, quite frankly, you're not in your sweet spot and you don't feel like you're being utilized and you feel like you're kind of on the shelf and you see your friends who are all progressing through life, but you're not. You're kind of on hold for whatever reason, for whatever the circumstances are. And, and, and we've all been there at different times in our life, and some of you guys are there now. When we find ourselves in those situations, it's really hard because life is passing us by and we're not getting any younger, we're getting older. And, and these, you don't want to waste a day. You don't want to waste a month. You don't want to waste a year. You don't want to waste two years. Now, it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. This is a pivotal statement. Basically, uh, Orrin Wearsby captured it. He said, after two years of waiting, things began to move quickly. That's the thing about God. You can go stretches with God, and there is absolutely no movement. And nothing is happening, and so you get discouraged because you don't see you don't see anything. You're praying. It's like the heavens are brass. You're not getting anything. You're not getting any response. Why is that? It's because it's not time yet. It's not, it's not there yet. You know, it's the old thing, Daddy, are we there yet? And see, we do that with the Lord because we want to get there, wherever that is. And, and, but see, you, you can't get from here to uh, San Antonio in 20 minutes. It takes a little longer. Uh, I think I mentioned last week the verse Isaiah 64.4. I think I did. No eye has seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. So here's Joseph in prison for two years. And you know, the hand of God's on him and God's working and God's blessing him, but this is not where he wants to be. And he's praying and I'm sure he's asking God to open a way out and do something for him. But really... He's not, seeing, he's not seeing any break. He's not seeing any change. He's not seeing any change in status or circumstance. There's nothing here that makes him think anything's going to change in his life. Uh, there's a point that, that we can get to of just sheer resignation to our circumstances. And we just, you know, we keep showing up and we keep going to work and doing all the things we're supposed to do. But inside, we've lost our zest and we've lost our enthusiasm. And there's no passion Hey, you can't conjure that stuff up. I mean, if it isn't there, it isn't there. If you're in a tough spot, you're in a tough spot. So what do you do? You keep being faithful and you keep doing your work and you keep punching in. And, and that's what you should do. But you know, there's a heck of a lot of difference between showing up and punching in and showing up and punching in and, and being motivated and excited. And you guys, ex you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see. He's in one of these tough spots. Nothing's happening, but I'll tell you something. When, <laughs> see, when nothing's happening, we think nothing's happening. But what's happening, you can't see. God, what is that, what is that Isaiah 64 for? No, I have seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. While you're waiting, God's working. You just can't see how he's working. And when, God's, and when it's time to move, when the timing gets right, I tell you what, you better strap on the seatbelt because it's going to move, and it's going to move quickly, and it's going to move very, very fast. This is what's going to happen to Joseph. In Genesis 41, basically, you've got, uh, you've got two things. I'll give you three things, all right? I'll just tell you what's going to happen. Number one, in Genesis 41, 
you're going to have Pharaoh's dream. Verses 1 through 13. Then secondly, you're going to have Joseph's discernment. And then thirdly, you're going to have Joseph's destiny. It's all right here in 41. So let's jump into it. 41. Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Now, who's Pharaoh? The most powerful man on the face of the earth. He's the guy. Egypt is his world power. He, he, he's, the, he's the powerful of the powerful. He's the big shot. He's the king. He runs the whole deal. It happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Behold, he was standing by the Nile, this big river. They thought it was the river of life. It gave life to everything. They worshiped the, the Nile. They did all this nonsense. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, as they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain. And he, hey, this, wasn't be, this wasn't indigestion. He didn't have a pizza at midnight. This isn't this kind of deal. This had nothing to do with this dream. This was, this was from Almighty God. Almighty, most powerful guy on the face of the earth. And God, God basically says, hey, you little Egyptian wuss, dream this. And there wasn't a cotton-picking thing he could do about it. Because he's just some little sniveling jerk who's been born into this family, and he's a pampered little, you know, wuss. I don't care if the guy worked out seven days a week. He's still a wuss compared to Almighty God. And he's got his little, so he's asleep, and he's got his little silk jammies and his silk underwear and his <laughs> Egyptian cotton sheets, and, which he exports. And he's just a little chumpin' wuss who breathes by the goodness of God, who thinks he's hot stuff. So he awakes after the seven cow thing, you know, fat cows, lean cows. Then he goes back to sleep. But see, God's not done with him yet. Verse 5, he fell asleep, dreamed a second time. Behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then... Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning, his spirit was troubled. So he went and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Hmm. Turn over to, 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 uh, to Daniel. And on your way to Daniel, stop off at Isaiah. You want to go to your right... If you get to Micah, you've gone too far. Go back to your left. If you're in Psalms, keep going to your right. You'll find Isaiah eventually. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. We get in tough circumstances. We're waiting. Nothing's happening. We wonder what's going on in our lives. It seems like God's forgotten us. But uh, when you read Isaiah 40, you read about the greatness of God. And uh, we are invited to compare things that we think to be great. We're invited to compare those things to the greatness of God. It says in 17 of 40, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. That includes us. That includes Rome. It includes Iran. It, how does he regard the nations, and you know, sometimes we get worried, we watch the news and all this, and we get a little concerned. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and just kind of meaningless. You see, those things that kind of worry us and concern us. Why? Because he's God. I like that. Look at 23 of Isaiah 40. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing. Who makes the judges of the earth 
meaningless, or, or literally in Hebrew, he makes them void. Just void. That's a great word. What does void mean? It means you don't count. And see, the rulers of the earth, they think they count. They think it's all, you know, you're a wuss. You're a sniveling little punk. Read that in the back of your limo. Read that in your Gulf Stream. I love this stuff. Don't you? It just kind of puts everything in perspective. And so, you know, you got these politicians and, you know, they're all, they're all positioning themselves and who's going to run for this and who's going to run for that. You just, you little sniveling worms. You know? Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. Now, God oversees the affairs of men, and God puts his men where he wants them, and sometimes he puts them in positions of power, and sometimes he puts them in the ultimate position of power. Uh, That's what he does. We've had presidents in this country who are godless reprobates. I mean reprobates. And we've had men in there that love Christ. Uh, how, so, so how does this all work, you know? Well, God raises up one, he sits down another. That's how it works. God's running the show. Uh, we like it when God puts in our guys. Yay, God. Yay, our guy. But sometimes God puts in the guys we don't like. And there's good reasons we don't like them. But God still puts them in there. If it was us, we wouldn't put them in there. But God's doing something. Go over to Daniel, if you would. Daniel 4. It's right after Ezekiel. And in Daniel, here's what you got going on. You got another big shot king. Um, you know... Daniel and his boys were taken uh, off to Babylon in captivity. This is hundreds of years after um, Joseph, by the way. And in Daniel 4, verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house. Now, who's Nebuchadnezzar? He is the, the king of, once again, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. I mean, this guy is a stud. Everybody's afraid of his nation and his armies and his power. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. Hmm. This guy wasn't afraid of anything. Well, God can make you afraid real quick. And these fantasies, as I lay on my bed, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, just like Pharaoh did, right? That they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them. They could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me. God always has his men where he wants them, see? Always. But finally, Daniel came. How'd Daniel get here to have such a place with this guy? Well, Daniel was ripped away from his family. Isn't that interesting? In the captivity, Joseph was ripped away from his family. See, as a young man, this happened to Daniel. It happened to Joseph as a young man. The circumstances that happen in our lives that are negative, they're negative at the time, and they hurt, and they're painful. But God always has a reason for the circumstances. He had a place for Daniel, and Daniel needed to be in this place. Daniel needed to be a confidant to the most powerful man on the face of the earth at this particular moment. So Daniel's there. But a lot went into the preparation to get Daniel there. Is that not right? Yeah. Okay. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar. That's the name they gave him in Babylon. According to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, Daniel, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This guy didn't quite get it, does he? But he knows Daniel knows somebody he didn't quite know. Because he calls him the holy gods. And you know what? He was kind of right. Because it's father, son, and holy ghost. He wasn't that far off, was he, for a pagan? And no mystery baffles you. That's great. 
tell me the vision of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. And then he's going to lay out the, the dream to Daniel. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And he's going to lay out this dream, and he does it all the way down to 18. Then Daniel, 19, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, Daniel replies, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. But it doesn't. It applies to you. Jump down to 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. So he's warned by God. This is about you. So turn to God now. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. 29. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Okay. So, you know, he heard the sermon. He heard the message. How did he respond? He didn't. See, God's gracious. God lays out the truth. He, he, he could not fault God. God. God laid it out, gave him an opportunity to respond. Twelve months later... He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now catch this picture. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over, to, over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes immediately. The word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And that is wild. You talk about an object lesson. Guys are driving into work in their chariots. Every morning there's Nebuchadnezzar out there. Fighting with some beef cow. To get that, that that grass, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. Seven years, but at the end of that period, I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. Why? Because God gave it back to him, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Gee. Now, that's the God we serve. So when you're watching Fox News or, you know, uh, any of these other outfits and you're, you know, Iran and this, you know, this guy and the North Korean idiot and all these guys, you know, he's running things. He's running things. He raises those guys up. He sets them down. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because of the greatness of our God. He's running the show. Everything. Everything. He's running. Back to uh, Genesis 41. You guys still there? Yeah? 
Okay. Well, you know what happens when we talk about God like that? The anxiety level in the room goes down, doesn't it? About everything we're facing. All the, the anxiety that you have when you walk in and you, and you look at that, your anxiety goes down because the greatness of God goes up. And you just kind of go, okay, all right. Everything's all right. And you know what? Everything is all right. So now you've got Pharaoh, he's got this dream. The seven fat cows, the lean cows, the stalks, the whole thing. This guy's just, this guy is, he, he's just, I, I mean, he, he, he can't figure this out. It's really screwing him up. Nine. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. Now, where have we met this guy before? Well, when Joseph was in jail, the chief cupbearer did something and got Pharaoh upset, and he's a confidant to the king. So he gets thrown in jail. Joseph's down there, and Joseph's running the jail, and Joseph visits this guy with the baker, and they have dreams. Now, this was just two years previous. And these guys have dreams, and they're all freaked out, and Joseph says, tell me your dream. Now, Joseph had never interpreted a dream in his whole life. But he asked them, tell me the dream, and the Spirit of God gave him discernment to interpret the dream and tell you, the two guys, what was going to happen. And it happened. He said, you're going to live, and you're going to die, and that's what happened. And as the guy was going back, this cupbearer was going back to Pharaoh, Joseph says to the guy, don't forget me. And what did the guy do? He forgot him. Isn't that sad that he forgot him? Well, it was to Joseph. But you know why he forgot Joseph? Because God wanted him to forget Joseph. See, we get upset. Man, I put that resume in there, and that just should have gone through, and I don't understand. The guy didn't call me back. You know why? Because God doesn't want you, the guy, to call you right then. That's why. God's running. He runs everything. He runs the timing of the world. We don't understand it. We, we just want the call. We want it to happen. And sometimes it does happen. But some, if it gets delayed, see, we, let's go. well, okay, hold, hold on here. What have you read in your Bible? That's what I got to say to me. Steve, hold on. Hey, what have I read in this book? Okay? It's easy to teach it. It's easy to teach it. All right, now, maybe what you need to do here is to take what you've read and apply it to where you are today. So what do you know to be true here? All right, God's, all right, okay, all right. So what does that mean? That means I need you to back off and just relax. And say, Lord, I trust you here. I'd like this to be worked out this afternoon. <laughs> but you know what, Lord? I mean, that's what I'd really like to have happen because I'm kind of sick and tired of waiting on all this stuff. <sighs> but you know what? If it's not supposed to be this afternoon, it's okay. You just want me to follow you and trust you. So see, the guy forgets him. If that, that's in 40, 23. See that? Look at 41.1. Just look at the previous verse. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him because God, told, God made the guy forget. Now, two years later, two years later, here's the cupbearer. Pharaoh's freaked out. Now the cupbearer is going to remember. Why? It's time to remember. Bozo. God's going to... See, whenever I get a nap before I teach, I kind of get um, revved up. These little wusses, you know, they think they're so powerful. They think, well, they're just nothing. They're just nothing. God's great. So this little wuss, this cupbearer, he says in 9 to the Pharaoh, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious. He recounts what happened with the servants. Put me in confinement. Uh, both me and the chief baker, we had a dream. Twelve Hebrew youth was there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. We related them to him. He interpreted our dreams for us. Each he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him, the other guy. <coughs> then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. 
What do you think Joseph thought when they walked into that jail and said, Pharaoh wants to see you? What do you think was his first reaction? Yeah. What is this, April 1st? I'm not falling for that. What do you mean Pharaoh wants to see me? He doesn't even know I'm alive. He couldn't believe it. Don't you think? Do you think Joseph was saying, hey, Pharaoh wants to see you? Oh, yeah, I was expecting his call. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been in there for two years because God's going to do all this. He didn't know what God was doing. He had to be stunned. He wants to see me? Yeah. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Now you're going to see, in verses 14 to 37, the discernment of Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. No one can interpret it. I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I remember hearing about uh, Billy Graham speaking at some great event, and this guy got up and gave him this incredible, incredible introduction, and just going on and on about Billy Graham and how wonderful he was and how great he was, and you know, greatest man on the earth. You know, it was a, Graham got up. First thing he said, he looked out over that crowd and he said, "God will share His glory with no man." Now that's why God's blessed Billy Graham. So somebody puts him up on a pedestal, what does he do? He just steps down. You know, all this glory on Billy Graham, hey, God shares his glory with no man. I'm a man, but there's a great God. So he interprets the dream. And he tells him, basically, he says, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven good years, really good years. You know, Alan Greenspan's going to keep everything going and the rates and all this and the Federal Reserve. And, and you know, it's really going to be neat. And, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of problems. General Motors will be doing all right and making Suburbans. Everything's pretty good. And, 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 and you know, the oil's under, you know, this. And it's not, you know, gas is a buck. You remember when gas was buck 50 and you thought it was high? You remember that? And now, hey, you'll not see that again for a while. But anyway, you know, he's a, so there's going to be seven really good years. But then... Here's what your dream is all about, and the fat cows and the lean cows. There's going to be seven years like you can't even imagine, man. There's going to be a famine, and, and you, you cannot even believe what's coming. Uh, verse 32, now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. See, when things start happening, they move fast. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and let him, uh, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Here is, uh, here is Joseph rolling out. He's just heard this dream. He's heard it for the first time. And here he is suddenly laying out an economic plan for survival that makes all kinds of sense. It's just rolling off his tongue. Where did that come from? You know where it came from. Let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years' abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority. Let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. I guess it did. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. First he was over Potiphar's house. Then he's over the jail house. Now he's over Pharaoh's house. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off a signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, put the gold necklace around his neck. 
He had him ride in the second chariot. They proclaimed before him, bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. And beginning in 38, what you have. So you had Pharaoh's dream. You had Joseph's discernment. In 38, you've got Joseph's destiny. This is why all that stuff had happened to him. All of that stuff didn't happen by chance. All of that stuff didn't happen because his brothers were mean and somebody hated his guts and was trying to bring him down. All of that stuff happened because God had a plan. Thomas Watson said, if you go down to Dallas Seminary and you go sign up for Hebrew, the first thing you'll find, I remember when I took Hebrew, you get your Hebrew Bible and you don't read, the Hebrew, you don't read your Hebrew Bible from left to right, you read it from right to left. Hebrew reads backwards. Thomas Watson said, some providences of God, like Hebrew letters, are best understood backwards. See, when God gets you to where he wants you to be, you look back over your life, and all of those things that made absolutely no sense at the time now make total sense. That's God. Um, a couple of things here. Now let's back up from the story, okay? Let's put ourselves in Joseph. Let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. Joseph had been in there for two years. He'd been waiting. He, look at this guy. If you've been with us in the study, we talked about his ups and downs. His brother selling him in the slavery. You know, I mean, this kid's 17 years old. My God. I mean, you know, they just, it just killed him. If you're a slave, if you're going to be a slave in Egypt at 17, you're going to be dead by the time you're 25. They put him on the auction block. This guy Potiphar buys him. Potiphar's head of the kid. He's the CIA guy. He's the, he's, he's, he's running the National Security Administration. He, he runs the bodyguard for Pharaoh. He is a high-placed government official. So that's the guy who buys Joseph. And then he has favor. And then He's blessed. And then when Potiphar's wife turns on him, because of who he works for, he's thrown not in Huntsville, and he's not thrown in, you know, San Quentin. He's thrown in the dungeon, in the prison. He's thrown because he's right there. He's put in that jail that's part of the whole compound for Pharaoh. And, and that's how he met the cupbearer, and that's how he met the baker, because when they got in trouble, that's where they got thrown into, you see. See, all of this God is running all of this. God's overseeing all of this. He had these ups. He had these downs. He gets in jail. God's been good to him. He's grateful. But, but you know what? He didn't want to be there. This is, there's something within him that this, this isn't right. This doesn't sink. This doesn't quite. I don't think this is my last stop, but I can't see any way that I would get out of here. And then he had some hope when the baker and the cupbearer in there, and he says, don't forget me. And then the guy forgot him. Didn't hear a cotton-picking word. Not an email, not a phone call, not a note. Hey, thanks for interpreting the dream, Joseph. Gosh, that meant a whole lot to me. Didn't get a turkey on Thanksgiving. He got nothing. So let me ask you something. Where's this guy's network? Where, 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 where are his contacts? Where are his guys? Where are his fraternity brothers? He's got nobody, nobody. There's no way out. Sometimes that happens to us. Can I tell you something? When you hit a, stru- a real tough stretch in your life and God puts you in, an adversar- in, a, in a situation of adversity and maybe you go through a depression or maybe you lose your job or may- and things just aren't going your way, you know what's going to happen to you? People who you thought were your friends, you're going to find out who your friends are. Because when things get all cockeyed, you know what happens? People can't figure it out, and they get uncomfortable talking with you, and you know what? They'll, start, they'll just start leaving you. That'll happen. Some of you have had it, have had it happen. And, and those who were your close friends and your associates, you, you thought they were, nah. They can't handle it. They can't figure out what's going on with you. 
That's what happened with Job and his buddies. So they started accusing, well, God wouldn't do something like this. I mean, there's obviously something very, very, very wrong here. And there wasn't something very, very wrong. God was just testing the guy. Uh, hey, Joseph was in a tough spot, and there was no way out. There's the 15. So let me ask you this. It had been two years since he had any hope. The, 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 the guy interprets the dream and goes to work for Pharaoh. Doesn't hear a word from the guy. Here's what I want to know. And I, 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 I'll tell you guys. One of the first things I want to do when I get to heaven. You know, I was listening to the tape of uh, Adrian Rogers' memorial service. You guys, I mean, you guys know of Adrian Rogers. Great preacher up at Bellevue Baptist. Great man of God who passed away just several months ago. And James Dobson was there, and in, in his comments, he said, he, he kind of laughed, and, and he said, you know, I'd really like to be there to see Adrian meet Jesus. i just kind of like to see that. Just because Adrian's just going to kind of lose it. He's going to just kind of go crazy to actually meet Jesus. And we all will. That would just be unreal, won't it? Yeah. At some point, I want to talk to Daniel. And here's what I want to ask Daniel. I'm not kidding you. I've thought about this for years. Here's what I, and I think I know what he's going to tell me. I think. Uh, I want to say to Daniel, tell me what you were thinking the hour before Pharaoh summoned you. Tell me what you were thinking and how you were feeling. You know what my guess is? I don't think he was doing real well. That's my guess. I don't think he got up that morning and said, Oh, goodness gracious, God is good. I've been in here for two years, did nothing wrong, and I'm sick and tired of this, but you know what? God is a great God. Our God is an awesome God. I don't think personally, I don't think that's what he was doing that day. He might have been. I, I can be wrong. You, you know what my suspicion is? I think he was having a real tough day. I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't. And see, the reason I think that is he was about to be resurrected. But before you have a resurrection, you've got to have a death. Maybe the death of hope. That's my gut. I'm going to ask him. So then, so then you know what happened? This guy's, I, I, I said we were get away from the story. God blesses this guy. He's, he's running the whole show. He's administrating, and he gets a wife, and then he gets, uh, uh, where am I? Where am I, 41? Yeah, and, 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 and then you keep going. Look at this, 46. He, he, he gets a wife, and, and then in uh, 41, verse 46, now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. 17, when his brothers sold him into slavery. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, he brought forth abundantly. You know, he administrated. He did all the stuff. He took care of all this. Now, verse 50. Now, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, uh, whom Asenath, his, uh, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. He named the second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is interesting what he named his two boys. I don't think he ever thought he'd be married. I don't think he ever thought he'd have boys. He was finished. He was done. His life was over. So his first boy, he names him Manasseh. You know what Manasseh means? It means forgotten. God had blessed him in such a way that he'd forgotten all the pain that had accrued into his life. He's right forgotten over it because he saw the goodness of God. The, then he has another boy, Ephraim. You know what Ephraim means? It means twice blessed. Not only have I forgotten all the pain and hardship and all that, I, he had perspective now, but now look at what, could he believe how God had blessed him? Do you think this guy woke up every day and just, he, he could not believe what God had done. Couldn't believe it. Oh, gosh. 
Any of you guys look back in your life and see any of this in your life? See the goodness of God like this. Things that were so painful, and, and now you can just write forgotten because now you can see why. And, 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 and you've not been blessed, you've been twice blessed. Now to him who is able to do, Ephesians says, exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. I don't have a watch on. Why am I looking at my hand? I'm debating how I want to end this. Um, Years ago, I've had two situations in my life where I thought it was finished early on. Uh, the first one I was about 30, and the second one I was about 40. And they were two tough situations. I got through the first one, and I thought, gosh, okay, I made it through that. And what I didn't know was is that I was going to go into a second one two years later because there was still some work that had to be done. But God gave me a breather for a while. But I, there were still some rough edges that needed to be knocked off, and I didn't understand why that was the case, but, but it was. And um, and we went to a place, and we moved halfway across the country, and we thought we understood why God had us there and God was going to do all this great stuff. And then after about a year, that just, that absolutely fell apart in a weekend. And it had to do, good folks involved, but it had to do with a vision of where a ministry was going and some pretty strong feelings. I'm not giving you a lot of details on purpose. But um, I thought it ought to go this way, and everybody else thought it ought to go the other way. And as a result, they didn't like me, and they didn't trust me. And, uh, and I really strongly thought about leaving, but God sort of scotch-taped that thing together, and I was there for two years, and I thought I was going to be doing this, but while I was there, that's where I started doing my dissertation on men. And then out of that came the book, and Point Man, and um, I thought I was going to be doing all this other great stuff, but basically, I was, I was given very limited responsibilities in this ministry and basically was, and I know I'm not giving you a lot of details, but I can't. But basically, all right, you do this, you speak, but don't have anything else to do with the day-to-day work of the ministry. Aren't you working on something, some dissertation? Why don't you go do that? Okay? And then when that got done... This idea for point man. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, do that. That's good. I was basically paid to do research and to write for two years. And I couldn't quite figure out why God had me in that situation. Um, at a certain point, I, I hadn't thought about this a long time, but I was thinking about it coming over here. At a certain point, actually two years later, that just popped into my head. Two years later, after all this was so difficult, um, those are tough years. Um, and, and we were just hanging by a string because we, we just didn't agree on the direction of where things should go. There weren't any moral issues, there weren't any other issues. It was just direction. Everybody felt pretty strongly. Um, I was meeting with these guys. And it wasn't the whole ministry. It was just a few guys on the inside of ministry. And one night we were having a get-together, and one of the guys that worked with me, and one of the guys that was on the board, this guy, we were having coffee, and we were going to have a Bible study, and the guy came up to me, and he was sort of the adversary, the chief guy. And we're talking, and he said, you know, two years ago, you said you thought it ought to go this way, and we said it ought to go this way. And you said if we went this way, it probably wouldn't work. And he said, you know what? You were right. I didn't expect to hear that. But then he said this. He said, uh, 
you were right, and it hasn't gone this way. Um, so do you see yourself here long-term in this ministry? <laughs> this guy is classic. <laughs> and uh, and I, I mean, I understood precisely what was going on. So I looked at him, and I said, no, I don't. And uh, I handed him the knife, and I said, go ahead and kill me. <laughs> now, the next day, my buddy, who was standing there, said, I can't believe you said what you said. I said, well, it was the truth. And he said, well, you know what he would. I said, I know, but I don't. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not screwing around. I mean, I don't see myself. He asked me a straight question. I gave him a straight answer. And the night before, I told Mary what had happened. And I said, you know, Mary, I remember sitting on that plaid chair in that living room. And I said, you know, Mary, I think things are going to roll pretty fast now. Hmm. I remember saying that. I just did. I just could see it. And two weeks later, um, I was asked to leave. Now, I had prayed the whole time that this book I was writing, I didn't know if I, I just had to write this book. I'd write it upstairs in my bedroom. I'd prayed that God would let me finish this book before the thing went down. And I just finished the book. And two weeks later, I got the call. And they wouldn't even meet with me. They had my buddy call me. And they want you out. And, I, you know, and the whole ministry didn't know what was going on. It was just an internal thing. And uh, they, they want you to resign. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to resign. Well, they want you to resign. Well, you know what? What are they going to tell the church? I said, you know what? The church will go with me. Uh, I'm, I, you know, you know, I'm just going to fight these guys a little bit. And uh, he goes, well, they'll fire you. I said, well, have they thought about what they're going to tell the church? What do they do, run off with a woman or something or steal money? I, I don't think that they're going to buy that. Anyway, Mary's listening to all this. We got on the phone. And uh, it was kind of a startling call. And Mary asked me, have I ever told you guys this before? No. Mary says to me, we're sitting there at breakfast table. Our kids, you know, they're running around, snot coming out of their nose. It's just normal stuff, <laughs> you know. And I thought, what, am I, what the heck am I going to do? And Mary, Mary said, she said, Steve, let me ask you something. She said, do you think God wants you here long term? The same question the other guy had asked me. And I said, no. She said, well, then why would you fight these guys? Because I want to beat the crap out of them. That's why. No. I didn't say that. I don't know. I just want to fight them. I don't like them. You know the difficulty they put me through here? I mean, that's what I was thinking. And she knew that. She said, you know, Steve, you know for the last year, You've been getting all these invitations to go out and do this conference stuff. And you've had to turn everything down. But you remember when you were in California with Alan? You remember what Jim said? These are guys that have known me since high school. You remember when we were out there and they said, Steve, you ought to be doing this full time? In other words, the guys that know you best have been telling you, you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing this conference stuff. I mean, you're pastoring the church. You're not that good of a pastor. Everybody knows that. You ought to be doing this. She didn't say that, but I knew it. <laughs> this is what you... I, mean, I was out in California, and this guy's known me for 30 years. So, Steve, you ought to be doing this. I couldn't see any way to do it. I said, well, how do you... That's crazy. She said, you know what I think? I think this is God getting you to go do this. I said, but Mary, I've been turning down stuff that comes in. All these... And it's a year out. I said, I don't know any... I don't know how we could make it. Because it's a year out before... I've been telling everybody no. She said, well, you know, Steve, God will, God will make a way. I said, yeah, I know that, but I don't know how we're going to make it for a year. <laughs> so two hours later, the phone rings, and it's this attorney. Mary had been in an automobile accident about two years before, and uh, they wanted me to sign a waiver, and her sign a waiver, that all the medical procedures were over. Well, they weren't over. She had some pretty extensive problems. And we had these medical bills, and they wouldn't pay. So I went to a guy that I knew was a Christian attorney, and I said, hey, I don't, I don't want any money. I just want them to pay the bills. 
And he said, well, let me take care. I hadn't heard from this guy in months and months and months. And two hours later, how are we going to make it? How are we? He calls me and he said, Steve, I got a settlement for you. And the settlement number that he gave me was half my salary for the year. He said, but you got to accept it and sign it by noon tomorrow. And at 1 o'clock the next day, I had banked half my salary for the year. I never had that much money in my life. But then I thought, well, okay, that's great, but how are we going to do this? And how do you start it? I don't know how you do it, man. How do you do this thing? And how do you get it? And, 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 you know, I talk, well, you need to start your own ministry and get set up as a 501c3. Okay, but how do you support it? And how do you... And I talked to guys who have been on Campus Crusade staff and, you know, different ministries. Well, you go out and you talk to a bunch of guys and you raise money and support and they'll support you. And I said, yeah, I know about that. You got to go talk to 300 people. You know, and they give you 38 cents a month and you do this. And, <laughs> and then you're always running out and you're always calling them. And I know guys have been trying to get to the mission field for three years, but they can't raise their support. And I'm thinking about that. I said, you know, I don't know. that. I don't think that. And I looked at, well, I said, so how do you do that? And I thought, you know, it's going to take a while to get this off the ground. And I thought, you know, Lord, if I could get some guys, what if I could get some guys and say, well, I'm going to write this for three years. And I never raised money in my life. I never had to. But instead of, I don't even know 300 people. What if I could find 10 guys that would just say, I'll take a share and break. And I'm going to tell you, the first time I went to, I'll never forget I was in the parking lot at Steak and Ale. And I'm going to go talk to this guy. And I'd never, I'd never had to raise any money in my life. I can raise it for other people. I don't, I don't like talking to anybody about me. And I remember I was, my hands were shaking on the steering wheel. And I went in and talked to this guy. I'd known this guy. He'd been in a small group I had. And I kind of laid out the thing for him. You know, I'm thinking, if I had to be doing this. And I'm just thinking... You know, if I could get 10 guys, you know, maybe take a share. And I remember he looked at me. He listened and he looked at me and he goes, well, he said, here's the deal, Steve. He said, yeah, I'll do a share. But he says, you're not asking for enough. He said, I'll do, I'll do two shares. How's that? And he took out a check. Well, and he wrote a check for two shares. What does Ephraim mean? twice blessed. I can't tell you how nervous I was. People think I don't get nervous because I get nervous. I get fearful. The next day I had an appointment with another guy that I'd known. I went in and talked to him and I'm shaking in the parking lot. I knew God had been good the day before, but what, a, but what about today? <laughs> I don't want this guy to think I'm trying to just take him for his money and all this. And, you know, I got all this in my... And I told the guy the story. And, you know, he looked at me. He says, well, you know, Steve, he said, this all makes sense. But he says, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll do two shares. <laughs> I had the whole thing. I had the whole thing in seven days. I'm still stunned by that. And can I tell you the truth? I, can, I haven't thought about this in a long time until I was driving over here tonight. Twice blessed. Basically, every guy that I talked to said, I'll take two shares. That's amazing. And, and that's kind of how we got into it. And you know what blows me away is that some guys in Canada call me. Hey, would you come? We're doing a men's deal. So I go up there and freeze and everything. And I kind of <laughs> complain. But you know how privileged I am to go do that? And then Lou sends me. Some guy in Switzerland calls me. And we're doing a thing in January in Switzerland. I didn't even know you had Christians in Switzerland. <laughs> Can you come in January and speak to us? Well, it's going to be cold, isn't it, in January? Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. You know, I look at, I, this is unbelievable. But I remember those days. Can I tell you something? I remember those days of depression. I mean, deep, deep days of depression where I, if God had told me, get in the car, get on the freeway, I'll have an 18-wheeler hit you head on and kill you, I would have done it. I would have done it. I wouldn't commit suicide. I would have done it because I knew there was enough money and the insurance to take care of marrying the kids. That's how bad I felt. Now, see, my guess is there's some guys in here that feel that bad tonight. 
I don't know who you are. I don't know what's happening with you. But here's what I want you to know. That that suffering isn't wasted. I hope you understand I'm telling you all this to give glory to God. Do you know that? I've learned, and I mean this, God's really good to dumb guys. He's really good to dumb guys that don't know snot. Except to try to follow him. He's really gracious to guys who are dumb and stupid and weak. So if that's where you are, that's where you are. You just tell him that. And then, him, and then let him work for you while you wait. And I know you think nothing. Just let him work. And just wait on him. And stay with your wife and don't go mess around with some chick. And, okay? Because God won't bless that. Let's pray. We're just amazed, Lord. We're just amazed. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm kind of staggered and stunned. And I'm amazed these guys would come to this study. What's the song? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And that's kind of where we are. Lord, I'm grateful that the guys that uh, I didn't agree with and the one guy in particular I didn't see eye to eye with, I am grateful that uh, three years later we met by chance. In a stadium of 70,000 people. And in 30 minutes outside the concession stand, we worked everything out. And we, and, we, and, we, and we apologized to one another because we both had error. And then we laughed because we could look back and see what you had done. If, if he hadn't moved to try to get me to leave, I, I never would have left. I didn't have enough faith. And I thank you for his honesty and sharing his heart with me and some stuff that was going on in his life at the time that I didn't know about. And then we reconciled it. How pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. We didn't like each other, quite frankly. And you used that. And you worked it out. I thank you that you're blessing him and his family tonight. You're sovereign over everything. So we praise you and we thank you. For the guys who are out of hope tonight, Give them hope. We ask in Jesus' name.